Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Crimepedia Podcast. This week, I am your host. My name is Cherry. And with me, as always, is the lovely Morgan. Hello, Cherry. How are you? Hello, Morgan. I am great. Thank you very much. I am so good, in fact. I am strong today. Strong and happy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you've got good news for us. I do have great news. So, we have two new patrons to welcome. So, welcome to Anna and Senya, I said, yes. hope I said that right. Welcome to you both, Anya, Anna and Senya. Thank you very much for joining our gang. And we're getting quite a good gang together. I'm really excited. It's really lovely. And for you guys that don't know what Patreon is and you've never heard of it, it's basically um, something that you can sign into that you can hear extra episodes of Crimepedia. And they are not extra crime episodes always. We do have extra very fun episodes. This week we talked about becoming grandparents. <laughs> we, <laughs> we talked do. about... Our podcast, when we're 80, uh, we talked about yeah. a lot of different things. So if you would like to join, yeah. then you're most welcome. We would love to have you. And it helps keep an, us in chocolate and like tea and stuff like that. So we always <laughs> appreciate anybody that wants to become a Patreon. <laughs> yes. oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if you want to do that, you can visit uh, us at patreon.com backslash crimepedia. And I think you can join for as little as $2 a month. So yeah, it won't cost you too much. Yep. No, that's quite absolutely. good. And we'll love to have you. So thank you for joining us this week. This week is a bit of a different case um, mm-hmm. for us. It's something we normally we would concentrate on one case and an episode. But this instead, we're going to be concentrating on a place mm, rather than a, a specific case. So, yeah, I think you're going to find this a really interesting episode. And I'd love to hear what people think about it. So this week's episode is called The Curse of Harling Woods. Harlingwood is also known as Thorpe Forest. It's a beautiful wooded area between East and West Harling in Norfolk. There are plenty of woodland walks to enjoy. There's pathways for running, there are dog walking areas, beautiful cabins that you can stay in by the river, and the area is over 993 hectares. 
But being beautiful isn't all the wood is known for. Unfortunately, there have been a murder, a rape, a suicide and even UFO sightings. This is Crimepedia and this is the curse of Harling Wood. Okay, Morgan, so on June the 7th, 1994, at 12.20pm, a 71-year-old female pensioner who was a retired college lecturer was walking her dog. Now, a dog was a small white Westie, and she was walking this dog in an area of Harling Wood, which is known as the Gallops. Now, the the reason it's called the Gallops is because it was an area that once led to a place called Birdwell Hall, which was a really old grand house. And this house had Mm -hmm. its own moat. It had its own moat house, like down by the river. Um, But it was demolished sort of like 1700s. But she was approached whilst walking her dog by a teenage boy who asked her for the time. Now, he asked her for the time and then dragged her into the bushes and brutally attacked her and raped her. It was... It was a horrific attack. So this attack lasted around 20 minutes, like 20 minutes total, in which time he even tried to strangle her, but was unable to. He left her in the bushes, sort of within brambles and within stinging nettles, almost completely naked. And before he left, um, leaving her in obviously in a battered and bruised state, he also attacked the dog that was with her. So this guy Mm. is... But the thing is, he was described as being around 16 years old, which I think is, I know, which I think is just horrific. That's very violent for someone so young. Yeah, very. And so the description that she was able to give is that he was around 16. He had a Mediterranean complexion, approximately 5'6 to 5'7". He had medium build with dark brown. Now, this is quite important, I think. Dark brown hair, which was shaved at the sides and then like okay. straggly on top, kind of like what you would call like a mop top hair. A bowl, yeah, a bowl cut. We would call it a bowl cut at that time. Right. Okay. So it's so, like longer. So the top is longer, but like it's shaved and like almost like an undercut. Right, right. Okay. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I think that's what they shaved at the sun. Yeah. It's all like scraggly on top and like curly on top. I guess if you had a bowl cut and your hair was curly, then that's how mm, it would be. Okay. Wouldn't it be? Okay. Right. Right. So right. Okay. This is all we know about this guy. We know that he was on a push bike and like a, a bicycle. We know that he was traveling on right. a bicycle. I mean, he's 16 years old. He's not driving, is he? He's like, you know, on his bicycle. Detectives had over 30 lines of investigations to follow up on this case, and they even managed to compile a complete DNA profile of the offender. Oh, but wow. unfortunately, okay. d- despite a £10,000 reward being offered, he was never actually brought to justice at all. So it's still, even now, unsolved to this day. Okay, let me ask you a question about this area, this um, yeah. Harling Woods. Yeah. How do you describe? Is it a? Is it a very? Is it a rural area? Is it? Is it? Yeah, populated. It's, no, it's very. It's a. It's a. It's a woodland. So on this on this woodland, like I said, it was a. You could go and do hike, like walking around. It's not like hilly, like hiking sort of area. It's like a big woodland, like a almost like a big national park kind of thing that you can go and walk around, walk your dogs around. There's lots of little trails that you can follow. Um, there's lots of wildlife trails you can do. You can have picnics there. There's lots of mm-hmm. dense woodland. There's also places that you can stay there on holiday. So if you um, if you Google it, um, it's also called. Um, there's a, there's another name for it. It's also known as Thorpe Forest. 
Um, and so that's what it's like. It's a forest. You can go there and you can, a lot of people, a lot of ladies would walk there alone, walk their dogs alone. And it's the kind of place that's very overgrown. It's very natural. There's lots of brambles, there's lots of stinging nettles. Um, but there are paths that you can sort of walk along and follow little trails to go around. There are cabins that are in the woods that you could hire to stay in, to go and, you know, stay down by the river and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's not urban at all. No. Um, here's the thing. How many 16-year-olds are going to be that fit that description hmm. that are going to be riding a bike on that day yeah, or in that area? That I mean, area. Can't, I can't imagine that a 16-year-old is going to be riding, you know, miles and miles and miles on a bike to, to get out there. And hmm. So it sounds to me like this has to be someone local to the area. I agree. So it's like, how 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 does no one no one come forward with any information that would lead police to them, especially if they have a DNA profile on the person. That's right. I mean, obviously he's not the, we're talking about 1994. So this guy isn't in, um, isn't in the police database at that time. And obviously hasn't Mm -hmm. been since because it hasn't been linked. It hasn't been linked together. So he's obviously not been in trouble since. But when she said he has got like a Mediterranean um, complexion, does that Mm -hmm. mean that he's not local or that he's moved to the area? Or does that mean he's there on holiday and he's going home? Mm -hmm. Um, Could that be the reason why he's never turned up on the database ever again? Because somebody who's got that kind of, somebody who's behaving like that, you're telling me they're never going to do it again. I'm not so sure. Right. I mean, he managed like to the... he managed to rape her, so he's he's mm-hmm. you know he's done what he was he was setting out to do, but at sixteen, like that kind yeah. of age. I, I don't like the the description Mediterranean complexion because that is so broad. Are you talking yeah Spanish? Are you talking Italian? Yeah. Are you talking North African? Are you talking Egyptian? Yeah. So it's not like I'm 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 assuming she meant he was olive complexive, right? Olive so he has, complexion, he has, yeah. So, Dark but hair. that kind of like th- throws you off a little bit, right? So, what are we mm. looking for? Are we look? Are you looking for someone that that is more North African? Are you looking for someone that's more Southern Europe? So, it's yeah. it's not the greatest of of uh, des- descriptive terms, I, I would say. No, and it's very hard. I mean, at the time she was seventy one, and she's in she's in right. a, an absolutely horrific circumstance, um, and right. obviously this is all happening to her. So, I mean, you've also got that generational gap of explaining things, you know, like somebody of, of a 71 year old would, would their language be so much different to somebody say like our age compared to somebody who's like mm-hmm. 18, the language would be so different. So it would be interesting to, it, w- it would be very interesting to see what this guy looked like, but unfortunately yeah. they I, never, I, they never got him. Never. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause I would, <laughs> with the, uh, uh, a younger male on a bike mm. really unless someone he drove to you know drove the a car with the bike on top of it or whatever or yeah. someone had dropped them off i mean your search area is probably really limited i mean i would say he's if he's from the area and lives in the area he's probably within what 10 mile radius yeah and also that's what somebody I must guess. know who he is because because mm-hmm. This is this was all over the news. This was everywhere. It was hor- it was a yeah. huge horrific thing to have happened at the time, and it was on all of the local news, all of the local media. So somebody yeah. 
must have a son or somebody staying with them or a neighbor who has a son that's got this haircut that's that's on a, on a bike that's you know mediterranean olivey skin somebody somewhere in the local area must recognize that description right no, but you're... unfortunately not now so it was pretty much soon after the attack though she actually moved away from the area and it's not really i think i believe she moved up north um and it's not actually yeah. known whether now she she's even still alive but unfortunately no one was ever brought to justice for her for mm. her rape and attempted murder now if we fast forward to august 2017 there was an 83-year-old father of two, a guy called Peter Wrighton. Now, at around 10.30 a.m., he was walking his dogs in Harlingwood when he was viciously attacked from behind. Now, when I say viciously, I mean viciously. This guy was stabbed 45 times. The attack was oh. so brutal that police at first believed that it was an animal attack. He was, oh, he was wow. that badly that badly attacked he did suffer defensive wounds on his hands so we know that he fought his attacker but his main injuries were to his head and his face now with peter's murder there was no known motive friends and family had reported peter to be kind mild-mannered um no enemies no conflicts just a generally really really nice man and on the morning that peter um was murdered he had taken his dogs for a walk as he usually did his wife, Anne, was at home and Peter had set off to walk the dogs. And when he didn't come home, she was quite worried because she thought that maybe he had like had a medical emergency or maybe he had got lost or something had happened to him. One of the dogs, something happened to one of the dogs and they'd run off and maybe mm. he was in there searching for the dogs. So she drove to the area to see if she could find um, Peter. Now, I know that from the further and subsequent reports a lady found him i'm not sure if the lady was actually anne but i know that a lady found peter whilst on the trail and peter's body was pulled into bushes um his wallet and car keys were still on his person and his hands were, were put on top of him so this this sort of dispelled the kind of like animal dragging him into the bushes because his hands were sort of placed on top of him. And obviously animals yeah. don't generally don't generally do that. The post-mortem was carried out and they revealed that it was a murder, a violent, brutal attack from behind initially with stab wounds predominantly to his head and throat and that the wounds were so deep he had almost suffered a decapitation. So the murder investigation was then launched and police presence in East Harling was stepped up. There were dog walkers being questioned on the trails. There were um, armed, not armed police, sorry, um, mounted police on on horses that were around the area. And the presence of the police was completely stepped up in the area. So people were starting to feel quite vulnerable. Um, dog walkers stopped using the area because they were worried that this, there was now a killer on the loose. There seemed to be no kind of motive for Peter's murder. Nobody knew of anything, any reason why anybody would want to attack Peter specifically. So when the dog walkers were questioned, they obviously quite clearly began to become really suspicious, really upset about what had happened. The fact that it could have been them that day if they were walking on the trails that day. And a dog walker came forward to police to report that he had seen some suspicious activities happening in the woods. He reported that he had seen a car pull up and two men had got out of the car. One was keeping lookout while the other one was burying something in the woods. Okay. Later, then, a young man would pull up on a bicycle. 
he would then see be seen digging in that area. He would take a package out, smell it, and then put it in his jacket and ride away. And there were a lot of oh. these reports of people doing this. So there was a lot that there may be drug deals happening in the woods. Right. That's a lot of work to do for a drug deal, though. I mean, I, that's what it's it sounds like. It's quite easy, isn't it? If you're just it driving is. out and then somebody else comes and picks it up where you've told them to pick it up and it's buried, mm-hmm. that's quite a good, easy exchange. That is. It's a lot of work, but yeah, it, yeah. it is. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, are, does it please believe that? Maybe Peter had come across one of these. Well, this exchanges. was the initial. Yeah, this was the initial thought that perhaps Peter had stumbled across something, and right. had frightened or had you know seen something that they didn't want him to see, and that he yeah. had been then pulled prey to this this vicious attack. Um, gotcha. Okay. Police did a lot of appeals and. A lot of people came forward saying that there was a man that they had seen that morning acting strangely on the heath on the day of the murder. And in particular, this one man said that he saw this guy that he thought was acting really strangely and he described him as walking with a purpose. He said that he was wearing heavy duty okay. flip flops and shorts, which was really weird at the time because he said like nobody who walked their dog theirs regularly would even wear that kind of stuff in that area because the brambles right. and the stinging nettles and stuff were so thick in places that you just wouldn't go there with your bare feet out kind of thing, which I could understand yeah. that. And if you're familiar with the area, then you would normally be wearing boots or trousers. So this guy gave police an e-fit. And police put this ether out into the public and it was a breakthrough for the police because people came forward naming the suspect as a 24-year-old guy called Alexandra Alexander Palmer. Okay. A psychiatrist that had worked with Palmer came forward to say that there were concerns with the way he had been talking previously in their sessions. The psychiatrist said that Palmer had talked about violent attacks and having this little voice in his head called Little Alex that would push him to um, attack a stranger with a knife. And obviously this, as soon as there was this, this EFIT was put out and as soon as the, the crime had been reported in the media, this psychiatrist really couldn't keep quiet anymore because this was quite obvious that this seemed to be very fitting for the same person. So the police then got pictures of Alexander Palmer from his Facebook page and they matched mm-hmm. the EFIT and it does look exactly oh. like him. They look really eerily similar because EFITs don't always look like when you do see the perpetrator after, they don't always look, they're a bit yeah. wonky, aren't they, EFITs? Yeah. EFITs are, are weird because it's that like, what would it call, like almost like that uncanny, uncanny valley, right? Where you yeah. look at them and you're like, okay, they look like, a person but there's something that's kind of off about it yeah yeah so it's interesting that they like they look at the e-fit versus his picture from facebook it's like oh yeah that's a pretty close match what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna actually put that up in our on our socials i'll put the e-fit up and i'll put the picture of him up and you'll see how closely related they are it's actually it's actually really it's a really good one of the best sort of correlations i've ever seen um 
So police then were looking at this, thinking, like, we can't believe our luck. We've managed to find this e-fit, be given a description of this guy. A psychiatrist has come forward with a name. Other people are coming forward with a name. And now um, we've got this Facebook picture and it matches the e-fit. So we think we've got our guy. So the police started viewing um, CCTV. And Alexandra Palmer, they found, was a former soldier. The CCTV showed that Palmer had taken his partner to work in the city that morning, of the morning of the murder. And on the way to take his partner to work, he was wearing a light-coloured shirt. But later on, when the AMPR cameras and the CCTV cameras picked him back up again returning, he was wearing a completely different shirt, a darker shirt. And when police questioned mm. that, he came back and said, no, he was in the same clothes all day. He didn't get changed. He was in the same clothes. Now, he was then arrested in connection with Peter's murder. And the police believe that they had the proof that Palmer did kill Peter. His car was seen on the ANPR cameras, putting him in the area at the time. When the police were going through Palmer's phone, they had found images of a knife that he had just bought. And it was like a, it's a hunting knife. It's like a black handled I don't know. I would maybe I would describe it if I was saying like a commando knife, like a, a knife you would take out hunting. It's that kind of like fat-handled knife with a quite a thick, a thick blade on the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he had this, and he found they found pictures of this knife that he had he had just recently bought on his Facebook. He initially denied killing Peter. Um, initially denied everything, and then all of a sudden he just stopped talking to police and just refused to talk to police at all. Um, in his car, there was a map of the area that, that he and they found out that two weeks before the murder, he had been in that area completing the exact same visit and being in the exact same place as he had the day of Peter's murder. So police then believe that this was premeditated, that he had planned to do this and that it wasn't exactly they didn't think it was Peter who was the intended target. It was actually anyone that he found on that oh, wow. on that trail which is really scary. It is. Really that scary. Is, like he had no, didn't want anyone in particular. He just, whoever he happened to come across. And this is exactly the same as Wayne Cousins. When, you know, the case where he was a police officer in the Met and he killed oh, a yes. woman. And it's exactly the same as mm-hmm. him. He had an idea that he was going to kill somebody that night. He didn't know who. It was going to be the first person that he came across. So, just happened by ridiculously bad luck that Peter was actually walking in that area at the same time that he was. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's awful, isn't it? It's awful to think that. If he'd just been delayed five minutes, but then it could have been somebody else. Someone else, yeah. And somebody else is going to suffer the same fate as Peter. It might not have been that day. It could have been another day. Something was going to happen with this guy. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing. The police also found a notebook of Palmer's and in it was lots of writing and ramblings in which he described how he wanted to go for, and that's the quote, go for dog walkers. Why in particular he wanted to attack a dog walker, I'm not actually sure, but he mm-hmm. described in this how he wanted to attack dog walkers, how he was going to do it with a knife. Um, police never actually recovered the murder weapon at all. So it's, it's never been found. So I don't know where it's such a vast area. You, it could be anywhere in that whole woodland. It might not yeah. necessarily have been anywhere near where Peter was actually murdered. He could have got rid of that anywhere in that area. 
chances of finding it wow, would be okay. very slim unless they turned over oh, the yeah. whole 990 odd hectares, which is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So in February 2018, Alexander Palmer stood in court charged with Peter Wrighton's murder. Now, the QC that was defending him was a guy called David Spence. And obviously, he was QC at the time because we had a, cre- a queen. He was suffering from... So he said, basically, that, that Palmer was suffering from a mental disorder at the time. And that there was plenty of evidence that he was psychotic. He said that the assault on him by a fellow trainee commander when he was back in the army in 2014 appeared to have precipitated his mental disorder. And there was never ever any evidence of any aggressive conduct previous to this attack in 2014. So they're using their defence as either like um, murder by dis- dis- diminished responsibility or manslaughter by diminished responsibility um, or the fact that he was not very, you know, he was ill, that he was mentally not, not of sound mind at the time of this murder. But the police refuted yeah. that and the prosecution would said, well, no, because this has taken premeditation and planning. This guy has bought this knife. This guy's writing about what he wants to do. This guy is planning this murder. He's gone there with the intention to murder somebody. Now, although Palmer was taking antipsychotic medication at the time of the trial, he was not taking any at the time of the killing. Hmm. This makes you really angry. This makes you really angry uh, from the point of the family, I feel, because it it, it sounds kind of like to me like a bit of a cop out. Like it's kind of like, oh, well, he's got a mental disorder. Then we should we should, you know, go easy on him because he's a former soldier. And, you you know, and it's I understand that train of thought. It's a very hard situation, right? Yes. Um, Because I, I see both point of view because you remember we uh, it's been a while now we did this the story this was one of our early early stories the um story of matt morgan who yes killed yeah. his his mom his, and dad tried to kill right. his sister sister and it was the same situation where he was supposed to be on medication there was a doctor who who took him off of it so he wasn't yeah. no longer on that medication yeah and he had a psychotic snap and killed his family and so while he did, I think in that case, while he, he did, you know, was responsible for it, was found, you know, found to be responsible for the murders, he ended up, what was it? He got, he got sent to a state run facility, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Behavioral health facility the where host, he, yeah. he li- yeah, lives a day. So it's tough because on one sense, yeah, I think you need to you need to hold people responsible for their actions. Yeah. But, but you need to take into account, you know, how, how they are. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think you just let them walk because no. they failed to take, you know, medication. So was he medicated prior, prior to this? No, no, he wasn't on any medication prior to this. And this is the thing, because with that Matt Morgan case that we did, we had a lot. Mm. That's probably, I think, one of the cases that we've had the most response from. And we've had response from mm-hmm. um, psychiatrists. Psychiatrists have contacted us about that. People that work mm-hmm. in um, 
hospitals for people that have yeah. mental illnesses and that suffer with their their mental issues um and it's and and it's the language that's used and i did i did speak to somebody on facebook and, and they were saying that they do this as a job and that the way that we explained it was that um the guy was um was mentally ill and that he was suffering but we we used the wrong kind of wording for it and i think mm-hmm. when you work in that in if you work in that industry and you understand it you understand what's going on you understand the right terminology to use we're not psychiatrists we're not doctors we don't work in that field so for us we're looking at it as a complete layperson in that we are being presented with a case where somebody has carried out this horrific act we are kind of looking at it from the family's point of view from an outsider's point of view not from a clinical point of view and i think that there are people that have had a lot of issues that have worked through their issues that have worked really really hard to shake off that kind of stigma and that they with their medication they are able to live an absolutely fantastically normal life yeah but there are people that can't and there are people that have gone on to do other things then it's very difficult and I'm glad that I'm not the person that's in charge of making these decisions because it's a very very hard job when you look at it from a family's point of view your family member your dad your husband your brother your friend has been brutally murdered for no apparent reason other than this guy has decided that he wants to know what it's like Mm -hmm. to attack somebody with a knife and the fact that I understand that perhaps, I mean, you know, they've said that afterwards he had a psychotic break and that, you know, and I understand that. And that's really unfortunate. But you, right. you tell that to his wife and you tell that to his daughter and his son and you can sit in front of them and say, this poor man has had a psychotic break and has brutally, and I mean, it's brutally murdered your father. And you, are you mm-hmm. expecting them to feel sorry for that man? Are you expecting them to understand and forgive that man? Because unfortunately, he's had a psychotic break. I feel for the guy. He's had a psychotic break. He's done something terrible. But then when you look at it, he didn't just snap in that moment. He didn't just have a psychotic break in that moment. This is a pre-planned, premeditated attack. Yes. He had been working up to it. Yes. And at any time, any time he could have stopped and said, something's not right. Yeah. I need to seek help. Yes. Or he had that ability. Would other people would other people have not seen that? Would his partner have not seen that he was acting very strangely? My experience mm-hmm. with somebody that, that was suffering um psychosis was that they acted very strangely and we und- we knew something wasn't right. But that's only in my, I can only talk from my own personal experience. I can't talk from a clinical point of view, a vast range of people. So just personally, right. from my own point, my own point of view, that that person, we knew something wasn't right. Something didn't feel right. The person wasn't behaving like they normally did. And we, we didn't know what was wrong. We didn't know to what extent was wrong, but we knew something wasn't yeah. right. So I wonder if this person's partner, friends, or, you know, had 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 any kind of inkling that perhaps he wasn't acting. I mean, the guy went and picked his partner up from work later that day, knowing full well what he had done that morning. What he had just done. Mm-hmm. So I'd be really interested to talk to, um, I'd be very interested to talk to like a psychiatrist about this. And, and would there be, what sort of 
things would would be happening in this person's life? What would their behavior be like? Are, are they able to carry out something so horrific and then just go back to normal like nothing's happened? Would would they not be worried that there was somebody going to find them, that the police were going to work out that it was them? I think mm-hmm. if you carry out a crime, even if you're a hardened, seasoned criminal, surely you're always trying to evade the police. You're always worried that that knock on the door could be the day that this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in williamsburg virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie a golfer a history buff a shopaholic an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker you'll find what you came for here and more so ask yourself what is it you want discover williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus they find out that it was you that did this. If you had, if you'd carried out, you know, a murder or something and you'd got away with it, surely there's something in the back of your mind that when you see a police officer or, you know, isn't there something there that does that to you that makes you think, oh God, this could be it. For me, I think it would. I think I'd be like paranoid all the time. Or is that because I don't, because I'm not a criminal and I don't do that. Is that because it's just, I'm just an everyday Joe. (laughs) I think so. I mean, I'd be concerned if that's something you thought about. Yeah. But if you carried out something like awful, if something happened like in your childhood or something awful and you had, you had been responsible for somebody dying, but they didn't actually find out Uh. it was you for the rest of your life. Wouldn't you always be worried that they are going to find out that somebody's going to discover something? You would, wouldn't you? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be interested if he was acting shifty after. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know about you, but like, I've never done anything like that. I've never done anything criminal, which I have to worry about. But like, I will like have thoughts about like things that I did when I was younger that are embarrassing and they haunt me today, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So if I did something that horrific to someone, yeah. Oh, you're going to think about it. Yeah, you are going to think about it again. So during this trial, the jury heard that there were two eyewitnesses and they described a man that looked exactly like Palmer. There were AMPR cameras that put his vehicle in the area. There was CCTV that had confirmed that he was in the area at the time. There was cell site data putting him in the area at the time of the murder. They heard all this evidence and then they retired for 49 minutes and they came back with a decision that Alexander Palmer was guilty of murder. Okay. So taking into his taking his mental illness or this is how it was it, how it was reported taking his mental illness into account the judge yeah. jailed Alexandra Palmer for at least 28 years. Oh, okay. Um So and he didn't was, go to What a, was the it, What was the max? What would the max have been for Well, that would be like it would crime. be like life, yeah. So life I think life okay. is like 25 years, so he's got like 28. Now, but it would be life are they able to do life without parole or would they be would he have been eligible for parole at some point 
uh, I think, we eligible know. for parole at some point. He wasn't put into a medical facility. He was put into a, a jail. Oh. Okay, so he got 28 years in jail, in prison. Yeah, in prison, yeah. And that was that a hard 28, or is that hard 28 with chance for parole? I think it's hard 28, and then I guess the chance for parole will come. I don't know if it I don't think it, I think it's a hard 28. I don't think there's a chance to be let okay. out earlier. Right, okay. And I know that his family, uh, they talked after. Um, his wife and his two children were in the were in the courtroom as they took down um, Palmer. And it was strange because Palmer kept looking across to his family, to his parents, and he kept mouthing like "I love you" to them. And how hard mm. must that have been for his his parents? Because that's your child up there, and you know that he's done something absolutely horrific. And when you're listening to that in the court, and you're mm-hmm. getting all of the details for it. That is quite a horrific thing to be listening to, that your your son has done something so bad, but you still love him because he's your son, you know, and you're still yeah. his parents. And I, I think that sometimes, however hard things are, you probably feel guilty because you still love that child. You still, you still love them, no matter what yeah. they do. You might not like them yeah. and you might not like what they do, but there is still that parental love there. And I, th- yeah. I feel that... your child, yeah. Yeah, the ripples of something like this in the wider kind of community is awful because it's not just Peter. I mean, obviously, Peter suffered the worst because his life has been taken. But Peter's wife, Peter's children, Peter's friends, other dog walkers, the person that found him, the paramedics, the firefighters, the police that had to deal with this, the courts, you know, the the people that are in the court that have to listen and see there's so many people, his parents, his friends, his partner. There's so many people affected by this one act. And it's not just that you're affected now. You're affected for the rest of your life. It's something that is going to be there for the for the rest for, for as long as you live. Yeah. And it's it's horrible. So although Peter's family they got that guilty verdict, it's mm-hmm. I don't think it's not a consolation, really. It's not a closure. It's not a. No. It's not an end for them. It doesn't just stop hurting there, just because they've got him. Obviously, it's a slight part of comfort for them that they, the man that did it is in prison and he is being punished for what he did. But it still carries on. The hurt and the pain still carries on for them. As as, and there's nothing you can do to stop that. It's it's unbelievable. I mean. It's easy for me to to sit here and 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 question, you know, why didn't he seek any sort sort of help? Yeah, yeah. It's easy for me to do that. Um, so I can't, I can't say that, you know, he. I don't know. I can't say what he was thinking, what he was feeling. No. Um. But it it this seems like something that could have been avoided. Easily avoided, yeah. With the right care, the right intervention, mm. um, I'd be curious to see how long or to know how long like these occurrences have been going on. Um, because you said he was in military, it's like so yes. you would think that he would have had to go th- gone through evaluations, yeah, prior to enlisting or or being dismissed know, from, yeah, yeah. But it, he was able to obviously. Um, Past those without any problems. Mm. Um, 
So is this something that, that he had been struggling with for a long time? How old was he? He said he was like 20... 24. 24? Or was this something that occurred from his, his time in the military, right? Is yeah. this... Well, they're blaming uh, this, this this stamp on the head. They're blaming this this altercation with another soldier when he was in the military and he had his head stamped on. They're blaming that. Uh, That's yeah. what they're saying is the reason that he's now got this, you know, this damage to his brain that's making him behave like this. Right. Right. I mean, the brain is a very scary thing. Yes. Um, I mean, we've seen time and time again people who who you know, at one point we consider normal. Yeah. Um, sh- have struggles because of things like CTE, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That that's does, right. What that does to, to a person's brain. So yeah. is it possible? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I, I don't know. Like I would like to think that if one day I woke up and I was, you know, started having these, these thoughts of what would it be like to kill someone or stab someone that I would. Yeah. That's some right. part of me yeah some part of the some part of my my own humanity would kick in like whoa, whoa something's not right no and i would seek the help well that's the thing isn't it i mean, i don't have any personal experience of have of suffering from like a mental illness like that or a, a mental i don't want to say it's a mental illness but like a, an episode say i i don't have any experience of having those any thoughts like that or having um I know that people can have very disturbing thoughts, but not realize Mm. at the time that those thoughts are disturbing. So it's a very, I think it's a very hard topic um, unless you are like a clinical psychiatrist or a working psychologist or something like that. I think that it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say what you would do at the time. And I think that for us, when you're looking at something like this, the very easy thing to do is to say, well, you know, he should have got help or somebody should have noticed or do you know? And I think it's very hard because I'm I'm looking at this. I'm trying to put myself into the into the sort of position of the family. And had that have been my dad, um, you know, how would I have felt? If somebody had done that in my family, I think I, I probably wouldn't be very, um, I probably wouldn't be very accepting of the fact that something had happened to them that had damaged their brain and that's why their behavior I wouldn't just go oh okay that explains it because I because to me that's my dad and that's what you've you've done to my dad now I've lost my dad and not only have I lost him I've lost him in an absolutely horrific and brutal way and I'm not sure that personally I would be very understanding to that kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know I think I think it's quite it's quite it's quite difficult I mean the the thing is, the area that this happened in, this is not the only the only two bad things that have happened there. There was also um, back to, where were we? So it, if you go right, right, right back, okay, there was mm-hmm. a farm in the area. Now, I've sent you a little map. I know you love map, and I'll put this up on our <laughs> okay. socials. But I sent you this little map. Now, on this map, yeah. you will see that there is an area there. Now you have you can see where it says pig farm. You can see where it says heath. Yes. Okay, so the yeah. heath is where that's where Peter was walking with the dog in that area. Okay, the pig farm there to the left is the, is where the next story has happened. Okay. Okay. So this pig farm in 1945, this pig farm was the scene of a huge tragedy. 
When the US Air Force Liberator aircraft, which had been converted into a flying fuel transporter, actually crashed into a barn shortly after takeoff from the RAF base, which is in Snetterton Heath, which is not very far away. So this air, this this um, aircraft took off. It ended up crash landing into the field of and onto a barn in this farm, which is on this area of the of the um, forest, and it killed everyone on board. Oh, God. So the barn was rebuilt again in 1948. And even to this day, there are plaques marking the spot where everybody on that board, that aircraft, had died. Okay. Then this farm in 2012 becomes the subject of another tragedy. Okay. The body of Stephen Brown, who was 52, who lived on Harling Farm, which is on Eccles Road in East Harling, was discovered at 7.30 a.m. on the 14th of February, 2012. Okay, it was understood that he had received abuse and malicious calls following some media coverage of an investigation by the RSPCA. Now, this video footage was sent in by an animal rights group, which is called Animal Quality. And this had been put online earlier of pigs that were allegedly being kicked. They were being slapped. Mm. They were being beaten with iron bars on Mr. Brown's farm. So he was now the subject of this cruelty, like animal cruelty thing. And he was receiving a lot of backslash. Um, Unfortunately, his body was found outside his vehicle on a track, which was adjacent to Quidnam Road in East Harling. And I had a shotgun beside him. There were notes left, photos of his family and friends on the passenger seat of his car. And he was unfortunately pronounced dead at the scene. Now, Mm. post-mortem examination found that the cause of death was a shotgun wound to the head. And the verdict was then deemed as suicide whilst in a disturbed state of mind. Oh, Elizabeth. Right, this is 2014, right there, right there. 2014. So, yeah, right before Peter, and you say close to where Peter was, right? So, sorry, 2012, it was, yeah, close to that's close to the, the heath, it's in the same area. So, you've mm. got the rape of a pensioner, you've got the brutal murder of another pensioner, you've got the the air force um plane that had crashed there and killed lots of people, you've then got this guy who's unfortunately ended his life by a suicide because of the pressure that he was underneath, all from the same area of woodland. Now, in July 2014, there were five friends that were going out using their metal detectors, okay, in this spot at around 11 p.m. So this is in the same area of woodland. It's in the same, roughly the same geographical area. I'm not saying it's right on the spot Mm -hmm. where Peter died, but very close to. Now, they were there around 11 p.m. They saw something strange in woodland in front of them. Now, in between trees was this glowing turquoise green, which moved through the trees very quickly. And they kind of like were looking at it what the hell is that? Um, it, but it was darting at like strange angles. First of all, they thought maybe it was like the light reflecting uh-huh. off of like deer's eyes or something or an animal's eyes, but it was darting at all these different angles. Now, then the light started to, um, it stayed the same brightness and it stayed in the same area and it moved very, very quickly. So they thought well, maybe it was a torch or maybe it was a laser or something like that. But all of them, right. all five of them have described this wave of dreadful unease and guilt kind of like wash over them at this time after a few minutes they all basically just you know 
crap their pants and ran, to be honest, um, and, and ran away. But in 2008, there were more sites of these strange lights in this area. Um, there were um, sites of a beam of light that was darting from side to side in the sky in the area of the woods, uh, just a mile from where those other people had seen the lights. A witness had said, I saw a light going across the sky from left to right repeatedly. It was quite spooky because the sky ahead of me was very, very dark. So it showed up like a white spot of light. My my son also Mm -hmm. saw this and he was in the recreation ground across from the fields. So Norfolk UFO Society, didn't even know this was a thing, but they actually got involved in this. And the committee member, a guy called John Sayer, who's been researching UFOs for over 40 years, said that this sounded like a completely unusual sighting for the area. And they, but there was yeah. loads of people. They had a lady called Sarah Cubley of East Harling. She said she saw the lights and she describes it at exactly the same time. Her niece also saw it and they went and watched them, this, this light dart about in their forest. Another witness had said they were standing on a picnic bench. They could see the lights. They saw them approximately over Thetford on the 4th of July. It was 15th. 11.15 at night. It was there for about 25 minutes. It was a white beam that went from left to white in a in a wave effect. Um, it was really strange and we've never seen anything like it before. So they contacted neighbours and um, there was an, a retired American guy and he said that he and his wife also saw these lights. They said it wasn't a beam from the ground, but it was a strong beam from like higher up in the clouds. So it was actually coming down towards the trees there was no noise they say it wasn't an aircraft an aircraft it wasn't a helicopter um but they all say it was all the same time so they can all corroborate each other's stories even though they don't know each other and they've all seen it from different areas around this woodland so i mean that's another strange thing that's been happening in the area it just seems to me that this whole woodland is not somewhere i want to go and visit (laughs) and that is very (laughs) cursed i'm gonna say the same thing (laughs) yeah no I'm sure um, people have had very uh, uneventful yeah. dog walks there, very peaceful, uneventful, happy dog walks, and nothing has happened. But I just read this and I was like, what? All these things I have mean, happened in this one area. This is crazy. And it's literally in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah. Because I, first of all, I'm, I mean, I'm the first person that's going to rubbish off UFO sightings. And I was like, no, it's got to yeah. be someone with a torch or it's someone, you know, messing about with a laser or something. But when you've got, lots of different people that don't know each other that are all corroborating each other's stories with the same information at the same time, you kind of think, oh, okay, maybe not a UFO, but well, it is because mm-hmm. it's unidentified. So I'm not saying it's an alien, like to get, let me just get that straight, but it is an unidentified object. So it is, right. it is some object that nobody seems to be able to explain what it is. There's nobody doing any training in the area. There's no, you know, like military that are doing any like sniper sets where they're, they've got, you know, beams of light or anything like that. Yeah. It's just totally unexplained. So you don't have RAF version of Area 51 around there or anything? <laughs> well, they might need, you might need to be, mightn't it? Because it's a very strange, it's a very, very strange case. The, the, and obviously the, the rapist, the young boy that was the rapist has never been found. The yeah. Obviously we know who killed Peter. We know that. Um, but then you've got this other stuff where the knife was never found and it's just, I just read it and just thought, oh my goodness, this is just, I would be really frightened if I was a, a local person living there. I would not want to go and walk my dog in an area like that. 
I mean, just looking at the area in itself, I think yeah. I'd be creeped out by the area anyways because of just how remote it is and how there's really mm. not much around. Like if no, something, nothing. this seems no like an area that if something goes wrong, that you, if something goes wrong in this area, you're in a lot of trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's put it this way. It wouldn't be the sort of place that I would allow my kids to go and play on their own, 16 or or, or older. I wouldn't want them no. up there on their own, you know, because it seems like, like you say, the sort of place that if you, even if you just fell and twisted your ankle or, you know, hurt mm. yourself, it seems like the place to kind of me that it's going to be a long time before anyone finds you. You're going to be lucky to have a dog walker that sees yeah. you. I mean, I've never been there. So if anybody's listening that has been there that could give us a bit more of a an idea of what the area is like. Because, I mean, there are places like that where I live where I would go and walk my dog. But I always think maybe doing maybe because we do a podcast, I think about it and think, do I really want to walk this place all by myself with just my dog who's probably going to be absolutely no help whatsoever if somebody attacks me? Mm-hmm. Or do I just stick to a local park where it's all open? And I normally would go with the park <laughs> just for safety, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I just want to. Just. I'm just thinking about this. 1994, the attack and rape. It's just. Yeah. I can't believe that. Um, nothing's come come from it. No. I mean, I understand it was. You know, 94. It's been nearly um, 30 years. Yeah. But even with them having, um, even a they DNA have a full profile, DNA profile. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like, like in that case, like I don't see a person just doing a brutal attack like that one time and then. I agree. I totally agree with you. Then they're not doing anything else. So that's what really bothered me about that. That's what really bothered me about that story was that I couldn't see that kid never doing that again. It's a compulsion. You know, rape is a, it's not always, it's not so much the sexual aspect a rape is usually more about control um the the control yeah. that the predator has over their victim and you're talking about a frail 70 year old woman or 71 year old woman walking her dog and this young teenager has distracted her and then and then pulled her into the bushes and i'm like thinking well he's done that to a grown woman who is elderly who is vulnerable you're telling me that he is never going to have a compulsion ever again to do this? I don't I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Yeah. Had he not know. have been able to rape her, had it been that he had attacked her, tried to rape her but couldn't, I might have thought that perhaps in the future he would be so disturbed by what he had done that he couldn't carry it out. He was so disturbed by it that he never did it again. But the fact that he actually managed to do it and and did you know and, and did what he did to her and, and strangle try and strangle her i i honestly do think that this person has has been creepy in future or one of those people that you would be wary yeah. of because he acts strange i don't see this person just carrying on a normal life having done that one thing and just just gone back to normal but it's frightening that it was a kid oh yeah I mean, thankfully, she was never named, so she was able to keep her dignity and not have the hounding of the press and have it all over the internet that it was her that this happened to. And I 100% respect that. There's no reason for anybody to know who she is. Mm. But the story itself is something that people need to understand and talk about because what if she wasn't the first person 
what if he had done this before and the other person was just too frightened to come forward? What yeah. if he's? What if this has happened to somebody else that is living with this that can't come forward because they're too embarrassed, they're too upset, they're too traumatized by it, and he's got away with it? I hate the fact that somebody's done something so awful to somebody and got away with it mm-hmm. scot-free. And we know that after, isn't it after a certain date that offenders are required to give DNA when they are, when they are incarcerated? Is it like 88 or something like that or 98? I don't know why those dates are in my mind, but I, I believe that it's after a certain date that if an offender is incarcerated mm-hmm. in prison, they have to give their DNA as part of... Yeah, they're, they're... I, it depends though it it, de- it depends on on where on where they're incarcerated right i mean yeah. of course the, the rules are going to be different between england and the united states but even in the yeah. united states um i mean we talked to charlie mccormick when we were doing yeah. the breckenridge case and and he told us that some states they don't require dna until oh, so release yeah oh yeah of course that's right yeah he did say that you're right so, so somebody could it, be serving I mean, like a life place to place. Yeah, a life sentence. He could be in there and then you don't find out that he's actually done something to somebody else until he's released. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was that was this week's case. These were this week's cases. Um I just thought it was a really yeah. interesting one that you might not have heard about. Um and I just wanted it to is. yeah, just tell you tell you all about it. So it seems that that tiny little small area of Norfolk has had so many really bad and really strange things happening just in that one place. Yeah. Uh, I'd and like to and get... while you're talking, mm. while you're talking, I was looking up um, Norfolk constable, uh, the constable, was it constable? Constabulary. Constable Blary. Constabulary. Constabulary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's see. Like, and they have this list of like five unsolved cases. I'm like looking yeah. at them, like, well, is anything else can be, you know, can, can, can you link one to, no- I can't link, of course. No, but then I'm like I, looking I tried. at one where yeah. it's like, yeah. Uh, like 1992, there's Johanna Young who was. Yeah murdered in her home in was it um a wanton or yeah latin whatever yeah. which is just Wanton, north yeah. of where all this happened yeah and so she was 14 in 1992 well yeah. if, if the kid this guy was, was 16 in 94 16 yeah same age maybe yeah but yeah it's just it's crazy like yeah. but there's nothing that seems to like um nothing as brutal as, as the the no. rape that ha- happened in in this um Harling and Wood. like you said, I find that really brutal for such a young offender. It's a very, very brutal yeah. attack. And I'd be shocked if that's the only thing he's ever done. Me too. And I would I would really, really like for that person to be found. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you for that. That was actually really interesting. Different. Definitely different. Yeah, but really different I, to normal. I really enjoyed that. Okay. Yeah. I'd love I to like hear your that. thoughts. So if you've got thoughts on this case, then send us a message on Instagram, send us a message on Facebook. Um, we'd love to hear what you think about it and any ideas that you might have. Um, we're always happy to hear what you think about cases. So yeah, definitely get in contact with us. Yep. And with that, how about we do a little dumb criminal? Let's go. Hey, criminal, use a dummy. All right, Jerry. So, um, We've, you know, everyone's heard stories of uh, criminals who you know, try to get away from the cops. They try to run and mm-hmm. they get the canine unit called on them and they end up getting bit. Well, this one, this one's kind of the same. So it's kind of along those lines. Um, this occurred recently in the state of Delaware. Okay. So uh, Delaware State Police arrested a man um, after he assaulted two state troopers 
following a traffic stop, okay? Okay. So he was a 47-year-old man named Jamal Wing, and he lived in Wilmington, Delaware, and he ended up being arrested for felony arresting, uh, resisting arrest, assaulting troopers, and a DUI. Okay. So this incident began shortly before 2 a.m. when a trooper saw um, a black Camry speeding southbound on Philadelphia Pike. The trooper initiated a traffic stop on the Toyota, and it stopped in a nearby parking lot. Um, now, a f- officer said that the driver, who was identified as that Jamal Wing, uh-huh. forcibly resisted arrest when troopers and a state police canine were detaining him. Okay. Now, this is where right. it gets strange. Now, rather than the canine biting Mr. Wang, Mr. Wang ended up biting the canine dog multiple <gasps> times during their ordeal. No. Oh, my God. He bit the dog. He bit the dog. Okay. So, uh, officers did smell alcohol in his breath, and I bet. when they actually were, <laughs> so he was drunk. Um, yeah. they ended up taking Mr. Wayne uh, to a local hospital for treatment, as he he sustained injuries during the detainment. I'm sure that the dog bit him as well. Well, I hope the dog was so, all right. I hope they gave the dog a shot so that he didn't get. Oh, no. he didn't get anything bad from that man <laughs> and his teeth. He did, I wouldn't he give him one. Yes. He, it's <laughs> just a dog. Make sure yeah, the dog's just a dog. okay. Make sure the dog's okay and leave him. I mean, how ridiculous. So while in the hospital, Mr. Wing decided to continue to resist and he assaulted yet another trooper, causing trooper injury. And also he damaged some state police property. Now, so overall, two tro- troopers and the K-9, his name was Mako, were injured by Mr. Wing and they all required medical evaluation. Uh, Mr. Wing has been charged with two counts of felony assault in the second degree on a police officer, felony assault in the first degree on a law enforcement animal, felony third Good. offense of driving under the influence of alcohol, two counts of felony resisting arrest with force or violence, resist, resisting arrest, criminal mischief, disorderly conduct, failure to have a required license, speeding in excess, and duty to sign and carry license. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, Mr. Wing is in a lot of trouble. <laughs> But can you imagine, like, he's going to be in prison recounting his, like, like they do, recounting his arrest story, and he's going to be telling them all that they bit the dog, and I hope all of those convicts are going to be going, ah, oh, you know, that's really bad. You shouldn't have touched the dog. Yeah. Because, like... Well, they will, because when so. he goes, as soon as he goes to prison, they're going to ask for, you know, the other, other rap- people in prison yeah. are going to be asking for his paper- paperwork. His rap sheet. And they're going to look at him like, you, you bit, bit a dog. dog? That's right. What is wrong with you? We're going to beat your ass down now and you deserve it. Yeah, you don't bite dogs. You don't bite dogs. Come on, people. Especially yeah, police dogs that are just trying to do their jo- jobs. Yeah. I hope he ripped balls off. <laughs> that would be so fun. I hope he did do him some damage. <laughs> so he never forget. I hope he ripped his balls off. That's hilarious. Oh, dear. Oh, my well, God. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. We will be back next week. We might be slightly later next week. We've got a few things happening next week, so it might be slightly later that your mm-hmm. episode is out. But no no fear, we will be out next week. Um, and you can, in the meantime, contact both of us on our socials, cherry at crimepediapodcast.com or morgan at crimepediapodcast.com. Or you can find us on Instagram, like at cherrycrimepedia, at morgancrimepedia. But for now, we will leave you in peace. So be nice. And bye.
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.